chapter seven of from ritual to romance this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. from ritual to romance by jesse laidley weston chapter seven the sword dance the subject we are now about to consider is one which of late years has attracted considerable attention and much acute criticism has been expended on the question of its origin and significance valuable material has been collected but the studies so far have been individual and independent the much-needed travail d'ensemble has not yet appeared one definite result has however been obtained it is now generally admitted that the so-called sword dances with the closely related morris dances and mumming plays are not mere survivals of martial exercises an inherited tradition from our warrior ancestors but were solemn ceremonial in some cases there is reason to believe initiatory dances performed at stated seasons of the year and directly and intimately connected with the ritual of which we have treated in previous chapters a ritual designed to preserve and promote the regular and ordered sequence of the processes of nature and here again our inquiry must begin with the very earliest records of our face with the traditions of our aryan forefathers the earliest recorded sword dancers are undoubtedly the maruts those swift-footed youths in gleaming armour who are the faithful attendants on the great god indra professor von schroeder in mysterium und mimis describes them thus they are a group of youths of equal age and identical parentage they are always depicted as attired in the same manner see sent reich und praktikgeschmuckt mit goldschmuck auf der brust mit spangen an den handen hirschfeller tragen sie auf den schultern vor allem aber sind sie kriegerisch gerundet und spire tragen sie in den handen oder auch golden achste golden harniske oder mantel um hulen see golden helma skimmern auf bauern hauptern nie erscheinen see on wer und waffen es scheint das dir's ganz und gar zu inren wessen gehirren the writer goes on to remark that when such a band of armed youths all of the same age always closely associated with each other are represented as dancers and always as dancers dann haben wir unabweislich als das bild eines waffen tanzens vor unseren augen and professor von schroeder is undoubtedly right constantly throughout the rig veda the marots are referred to as dancers gold bedecked dancers with songs of praise they dance round the spring when ye maruts spear-arm dance they that is the heavens stream together like waves of water 
and a special moment for the dance of these glorious youths ever young brothers of whom none is elder none younger is that of the ceremonial sacrifice see tanzen aufhören himmlischen bannen sie springen und tanzen auch bei den Afferfesten der menschen the maruts as said above were conceived of as the companions of indra and helpers in his fight against his monstrous adversaries thus they were in included in the sacrifices offered in the honour of that deity one of the most striking of the ritual dramas reconstructed by professor von schroeder is that which represents indra as indignantly rejecting the claim of the maruts to share in such a sacrifice they had failed to support him in his conflict with the dragon vritra when by his might he loosed the waters neither to-day nor to-morrow will he accept a sacrifice of which they share the honour he requires all the tact of the offerer agastaya and of the leader of the maruts to soothe the offended deity here i would draw attention to the significant fact that the feat celebrated is that to which i have previously referred as the most famous of all the deeds attributed to indra the freeing of the waters and here the maruts are associated with the god but they were also the objects of independent worship they were specially honoured at the katurmasyaya the feast which heralded the commencement of the three seasons of four months each into which the indian year was divided a division corresponding respectively to the hot the cool and the wet season the advantages to be derived from the worship of the maruts may be deduced from the following extracts from the rigveda which devotes more than thirty hymns to their praise the adorable maruts armed with bright lances and cuirassed with golden breastplates enjoy vigorous existence may the cars of the quick-moving maruts arrive for our good bringers of rain and fertility shedding water augmenting food givers of abundant food your milk kind are never dry we invoke the food-laden chariots of the maruts nothing can be clearer than this the maruts are daemons of fertility the worship of whom will secure the necessary supply of the fruits of the earth the close associations of the maruts with indra the great nature god has led some scholars to regard them as personifications of a special manifestation of nature as wind gods professor von schroeder points out that their father was the god rudra later known as siva the god of departed souls and of fruitfulness that is a chthonian deity and suggests that the maruts represent the in wind and storm dahin yagendan silenskar he points out that the belief in a troop of departed souls is an integral part of aryan tradition and classifies such belief under four main headings one under the form of a spectral hunt the wild huntsman well known in european folklore he equates this with dionysus sagrius and the hunt of artemis hecate to that of a spectral army the souls of warriors slain in fight the northern einherrier belong to this class and the many traditions of spectral combats and ghostly battles heard but not seen three the conception of a host of women in a condition of ecstatic exaltation bordering on madness who appear girdled with snakes or hissing like snakes tear living animals to pieces and devour the flesh 
the classic examples here are the greek menads and the indian senas who accompany rudra for the conception of a train of theriomorphic phallic demons of fertility with their companion group of fair women such are the satyrs and nymphs of greek the gandharvas and hapsaras of indian mythology to these four main groups may be added the belief among germanic peoples also among the lets in a troop of child souls these four groups in more or less modified forms appear closely connected with the dominant spirit of vegetation by whatever name that spirit may be known according to von schroeder there was among the aryan peoples generally a tendency to regard the dead as assuming the character of daemons of fertility this view the learned professor considers to be at the root of the annual celebrations in honour of the departed the feast of souls which characterised the commencement of the winter season and is retained in the catholic conception of november as the month of the dead in any case we may safely conclude that the maruts represented as armed youths were worshipped as deities of fruitfulness that their dances were of a ceremonial character and that they were by nature and origin closely connected with spirits of fertility of a lower order such as the gandharvas it also appears probable that if the dramas of which traces have been preserved in the rig veda were as scholars are now of opinion once actually represented the mythological conception of the maruts must have found its embodiment in youths most probably of the priestly caste who played their role and actually danced the ceremonial sword dance as von schroeder says kein zweifel das sie dabei von menschlichen resp priestlichen personen dargestellt werden when we turn from the early aryan to the classic greek period we find in the coretes and in a minor degree in the corybantes a parallel so extraordinarily complete alike in action and significance that an essential identity of origin appears to be beyond doubt the corettes were as their name indicates a band of armed youths of semi-divine origin coretin sint von haus aus halb gottlich demoniska wessen nicht nur menschliche priester oder deren mystische vertreter again they are to be considered as elementara erwessen and as such of göttliche abkunft preller regards them as daemonen des gebergs while a passage from hesiod quoted by strabo equates them with nymphs and satyrs that is fertility demons when we remember that the gandharvas are the indian equivalent of the satyrs the close parallel between the maruts and the coretis both the like bands of armed use of elementary origin and connected with beings of a lower grade is striking the home of the coretis was in crete where they were closely associated with the worship of the goddess rhea the traditional story held that in order to preserve the infant zeus from destruction by his father Kronos, they danced their famous sword dance round the babe overpowering his cries by the clash of their weapons their dance was by some writers identified with the pyrrhic dance first performed by athene in honour of her victory over the giants and taught by her to the coretes it had however as we shall see a very distinct aim and purpose and one in no way connected with warlike ends in miss j e harrison's deeply interesting volume 
themis she gives the translation of a fragmentary hymn of the coretes discovered among the ruins of a temple in crete a text which places beyond all doubt the fact that however mythical in origin the coretes certainly had actual human representatives and that while in the case of the maroots there may be a question as to whether their dance actually took place or not so far as the coretes are concerned there can be no such doubt the following is the text as preserved to us the slabs on which it is inscribed are broken and there are consequent lacunae io kuros most great i give thee hail cronian lord of all that is web and gleaming thou art come at the head of the daimonus to dicta for the year o march and rejoice in the dance and song that we make to thee with harps and pipes mingled together and sing as we come to a stand at thy well-fenced altar i o etc for here the shielded nurturers took thee a child immortal from rhea and with noise of beating feet hid thee away i o etc and the horai began to be fruitful year by year and dike to possess mankind and all wild living things were held about by wealth-loving peace i o etc and the horai began to be fruitful year by year and dike to possess mankind and all wild living things were held about by wealth-loving peace i o etc to us also leap for full jars and leap for fleecy flocks and leap for fields of fruit and for hives to bring increase i o etc leap for our cities and leap for our sea-borne ships and leap for our young citizens and for goodly themis this hymn is most extraordinarily interesting it places beyond all doubt what was the root intention of this ceremonial dance it was designed to stimulate the reproductive energies of nature to bring into being fruitful fields and vineyards plenteous increase in the flocks and herds and to people the cities with youthful citizens and the god is entreated not merely to accept the worship offered but himself to join in the action which shall produce such fair results to leap for full jars and fleecy flocks and for youthful citizens the importance of movement notably of what we may call group movement as a stimulant to natural energies is thoroughly recognized among primitive peoples with them dance holds a positive equivalent to that which is more advanced communities is assigned to prayer professor von schroeder comments on this s ist merkwürdig genig zu sehen wie das tanzen nach dem glauben primitiver voker einer anblicke kraft und bedutung zu haben scheint wie man sie auf hoheren kulturstufen dem imbrustigen gebete zu schreibt he cites the case of the tarahumara indians of central america while the family as a whole are laboring in the fields it is the office of one man to dance uninterruptedly on the dance place of the house if he fails in his office the labor of the others will be unsuccessful the one sin of which a tarahumara indian is conscious is that of not having danced enough miss harrison in commenting on the dance of the coretes remarks that among certain savage tribes when a man is too old to dance he hands on his dance to another he then ceases to exist socially when he dies his funeral is celebrated with scanty rites having lost his dance he has ceased to count as a social unit with regard to the connection of the coretes with the infant zeus miss harrison makes the interesting suggestion that we have here a trace 
of an initiation dance analogous to those discussed by m van Ginnop in his rights breathe du passage that the original form was titan white clay men which later became titan giants and she draws attention to the fact that daubing the skin with white clay is a frequent practice in these primitive rituals to this i would add that it is a noteworthy fact that in our modern survivals of these dances the performers are as a rule dressed in white note weston's first titan above had schwa accents over the vowels the second titan had macron accents over the vowels the above suggestion is of extreme significance as it brings out the possibility that these celebrations were not only concerned with the prosperity of the community as a whole but may also have borne a special and individual aspect and that the idea of initiation into the group is closely connected with the ceremonial exercise of group functions to sum up there is direct proof that the classic greeks in common with their aryan forefathers held the conception of a group of beings of mythic origin represented under the form of armed youths who were noted dancers and whose activities were closely connected with the processes of nature they recognized a relation between these beings and others of a less highly developed aspect phallic demons often of theriomorphic form thus the dance of the coretis should be considered as a ceremonial ritual action rather than as a warlike exercise it was designed to promote the fruitfulness of the earth not to display the skill of the dancers in the handling of weapons when we turn to an analogous group that of the corybantes we find that while presenting a general parallel to the corettes with whom they are often coupled in mythologies they also possess certain distinct characteristics which form a connecting link with other and later groups the corybantes were of phrygian origin attached to the worship of the goddess kybele and Attis, the well-known phrygian counterpart to the phoenician adonis and originally the most important embodiment of the vegetation spirit rocher considers them to be of identical origin with the corettes that is as elementary daemons but the corybantes of classic art and tradition are undoubtedly human beings priests of kybele they appear in surviving bas-reliefs in company with that goddess and with attis the dance of the corybantes is distinguished from that of the corettes by its less restrained and more orgiastic character it was a wild and whirling dance resembling that of the modern dervishes accompanied by self-mutilation and an unrhythmic clash near weapons designed some writers think to overpower the cries of the victims if this suggestion be correct it would seem to indicate that if the dance of the corettes was originally an initiation dance that the corybantes was sacrificial in character we shall see later that certain features in the surviving forms of the sword dance also point in this direction the interest of the corybantes for our investigation lies in the fact that here again we have the sword dance in close and intimate connection with the worship of the vegetation spirit and there can be no doubt that here as elsewhere it was held to possess a stimulating virtue a noticeable point in the modern survival of these dances is that the dance proper is combined with a more or less coherent dramatic action the sword dance originally did not stand alone but formed part of a drama to the action of which it may be held to have given a cumulative force on this point i would refer the reader to professor von schroeder's book where this aspect of the dance is fully discussed 
we have already spoken of the baruts and their dramatic connection with indra the greek dancers offer us no direct parallel though the connection of the coretes with the infant zeus may quite possibly indicate the existence in the original form of the dance of a more distinctly dramatic element we have however in the roman salii a connecting link which proves beyond all doubt that our modern dances and analogous representations are in fact genuine survivals of primitive ceremonies and in no way a mere fortuitous combination of originally independent elements the salii formed a college of priests twelve in number dedicated to the service of mars who it is important to remember was originally a god of growth and vegetation a spring deity who bestowed his name on the vernal month of march only by degrees did the activities of the god become specially connected with the domain of war there seem to have been two groups of salii one having their college on the palatine the other on the quirinal the first were the more important the quirinal group shared in the celebrations of the latter part of the month only the first of march was the traditional birthday of mars and from that date during the whole of the month the salii offered sacrifices and performed dances in his honour they wore pointed caps or helmets on their head were girt with swords and carried on the left arm shields copied from the ancilia or traditional shield of mars fabled to have fallen from heaven in their right hand they bore a small lance dionysus of Halicarnassus, in a passage describing a salii says they carried in their right hand a spear or staff or something of that sort miss harrison quoting this passage gives a reproduction of a bas-relief representing the salii carrying what she says are clearly drumsticks as a matter of fact they very closely resemble the wands which in the tarot card sometimes represent the lance suit miss harrison suggests that the original shields were made of skins stretched upon a frame and beaten by these drumsticks this may quite well have been the case and it would bear out my contention that the original contact of weapon and shield was designed rather as a rhythmic accompaniment to the dance than as a display of skill in handling sword and lance that is that these dances were not primarily warlike exercises at the conclusion of their songs the salii invoked mamurius venturius the smith who was fabled to have executed the copies of the original shield while on the fourteenth of march a man dressed in skins and supposed to represent the aforesaid smith was led through the streets beaten by the salii with rods and thrust out of the city the following day the fifteenth was the feast of anna perenna fabled to be an old woman to whom mars had confided the tale of his love for nereo and who disguising herself as the maiden had gone through the ceremony of marriage with the god this feast was held outside the gates on the twenty-third the combined feast of mars and nereo was held with great rejoicing throughout the city modern scholars have unanimously recognized in mamurius the Turius, and anna perenna the representatives of the old year the vegetation spirit and his female counterpart who grown old must yield place to the young god and his correspondingly youthful bride reference to chapter five where the mediaeval and modern forms of this nature ritual are discussed and instances of the carrying out of winter and ceremonial bringing in of spring are given will suffice to show how vital and enduring an element in folklore is this idea of driving out the old year while celebrating the birth of the new here then again we have a ritual sword dance closely associated 
with the practice of a nature cult there can i think be no doubt that ab initio the two were connected with each other but the dance of Vesalii, with its dramatic folk-play features forms an interesting link between the classic dance of the Corettis and the modern english survivals in which the dramatic element is strongly marked these english forms may be divided into three related groups the sword dance the morris dance and the mumming play of these the morris dance stands somewhat apart of identical origin it has discarded the dramatic element and now survives simply as a dance whereas the sword dance is always dramatic in form and the mumming play acted by characters appearing also in the sword dance invariably contains a more or less elaborate fight the sword dance proper appears to have been preserved mostly in the north of england and in scotland mr cecil sharp has found four distinct varieties in yorkshire alone at one time there existed a special variant known as the giant's dance in which the leading characters were known by the names of wotan and frau freak one figure of this dance consisted in making a ring of swords round the neck of a lad without wounding him mr e k chambers has commented on this as the survival of a sacrificial origin the remarks of this writer on the sword dance in its dramatic aspect are so much to the point that i quote them here the sword dance makes its appearance not like heroic poetry in general as part of the minstrel repertory but as a purely popular thing at the agricultural festivals to these festivals we may therefore suppose it to have originally belonged mr chambers goes on to remark that the dance of the salii discussed above was clearly agricultural and belongs to mars not as war-god but in his more primitive quality of a fertilization spirit in the appendix to his most valuable book the same writer gives a full description with text of the most famous surviving form of the sword dance that of papa stower old norwegian pape in store one of the shetland islands the dance was performed at christmas yuletide the dancers seven in number represented the seven champions of christendom the leader st george after an introductory speech performed a solo dance to the music of an accompanying minstrel he then presented his comrades one by one each in turn going through the same performance finally the seven together performed an elaborate dance the complete text of the speech is given in the appendix referred to the close connection between the english sword dance and the mumming play is indicated by the fact that the chief character in these plays is generally speaking st george the title has in some cases become corrupted into king george in professor von schroeder's opinion this is due to st george's legendary role as dragon slayer and he sees in the importance assigned to this hero an argument in favour of his theory that the slaying of the dragon was the earliest aryan folk drama in folklore volume ten a fully illustrated description of the mumming play as performed at newbold a village near rugby is given here the characters are father christmas st george a turkish knight doctor maul finney mother of the night humpty jack beelzebub and big head and little wit these last three have no share in the action proper but appear in a kind of epilogue accompanying a collection made by beelzebub the play is always performed at christmas time consequently father christmas appears as stage manager and introduces the characters the action consists in a general challenge issued by st george and accepted by the turkish knight a combat follows in which the turk is slain his mother rushes in 
weeps over the body and demands the services of a doctor who appears accordingly vaunts his skill in lines interspersed with unintelligible gibberish and restores the turk to life in the version which used to be played throughout scotland at hogmanay new year tide the characters are bolbender the king of france the king of spain dr beelzebub Galishin, and sir alexander the fight is between bolbender who represents the saint george of the english version and Galishin. the latter is killed and on the demand of sir alexander who acts as stage manager revived by the doctor this character as in the english version interlarding the recital of his feats of healing skill with unintelligible phrases there is a general consensus of opinion among folklore authorities that in this rough drama which we find played in slightly modified form all over europe in scandinavia it is the jewel-bach a man dressed in skins who after a dramatic dance is killed and revived we have a symbolic representation of the death and rebirth of the year a counterpart to those ceremonies of driving out winter and bringing in spring which we have already described this chapter had already been written when an important article by dr jevons entitled masks and the origin of the greek drama appeared in folklore volume twenty seven the author having discussed the different forms of greek drama and the variety of masks employed decides that greek comedy originated in harvest festivals in some ceremony in which the harvesters went about in procession wearing masks this ceremony he connects directly with an english mumming play suggesting that the characters represented on this occasion were the vegetation spirit and those who were concerned in bringing about his revivification in fine greek comedy and the mumming play both sprang from the rite of revivification at a later stage of our inquiry we shall have occasion to return to this point and realize its great importance for our theory the morris dances differ somewhat from the sword and mumming dances the performances as a rule take place in the spring or early summer chiefly may and whitsuntide the dances retain little or no trace of dramatic action but are dances pure and simple the performers generally six in number are attired in white elaborately pleated shirts decked with ribbons white moleskin trousers with bells at the knee and beaver hats adorned with ribbons and flowers the leader carries a sword on the point of which is generally impaled a cake during the dancing slices of this cake are distributed to the lookers-on who are supposed to make a contribution to the treasury a money-box carried by an individual called the squire or clown dressed in motley and bearing in the other hand a stick with a bladder at one end and a cow's tail at the other in some forms of the dance there is a lord and a lady who carry maces of office these maces are short staves with a transverse piece at the top and a hoop over it the whole is decorated with ribbons and flowers and bears a curious resemblance to the crux and satyr in certain figures of the dance the performers carry handkerchiefs in others painted with the colours of the village to which they belong the dances are always more or less elaborate in form the costume of the clown an animal skin or cap of skin with tail pendant and the special character assumed by the maytide celebrations in certain parts of england for example cornwall and staffordshire would seem to indicate that while the english morris dance has dropped the dramatic action the dancers not being designated by name and playing no special role it has on the other hand retained the theriomorphic features so closely associated with aryan ritual which the sword dance and mumming play on their side have lost 
a special note of these english survivals and one to which i would now draw attention is the very elaborate character of the figures and the existence of a distinct symbolic element i am informed that the sword dancers of to-day always at the conclusion of a series of elaborate sword-lacing figures form the pentangle as they hold up the sign they cry triumphantly a nut a nut the word nut equals not as in the game of nuts that is breast knots nosegays in may they do this often even when performing a later form of the mumming play i have already drawn attention to the fact that in Gawain and the green knight the hero's badge is the pentangle or pentacle there explained as called by the english the endless knot in the previous chapter i have noted that the pentangle frequently in the tarot suits replaces the dish in mr yeats's remarks cited above the two are held to be interchangeable one or the other always forms one of the group of symbols in one form of the morris stance that performed in berkshire the leader or squire of the morris carries a chalice at the same time he bears a sword and a bull's head at the end of a long pole this figure is illustrated in miss mary neal's esperance morris book thus our english survivals of these early vegetation ceremonies preserve in a more or less detached form the four symbols discussed in the preceding chapter grail sword lance and pentangle or dish it seems to me that in view of the evidence thus offered it is not a very hazardous or far-fetched hypothesis to suggest that these symbols the exact value of which as a group we cannot clearly determine but of which we know the two most prominent cup and lance to be sex symbols were originally fertility emblems and as such employed in a ritual designed to promote or restore the activity of the reproductive energies of nature as i have pointed out above an obvious dislocation has taken place in our english survivals sword dance mumming play and morris dance no longer form part of one ceremony but have become separated and connected on the one hand with the winter on the other with the early summer nature celebrations it is thus not surprising that the symbol should also have become detached the fact that the three groups manifestly form part of an original whole is an argument in favour of the view that at one moment all the symbols were used together and the grail chalice carried in a ceremony in which sword lance and pentangle were also displayed but there is another point i would suggest is it not possible that in these armed youths who were in some cases notably in that of the salii at once warriors and priests we have the real origin of the grail knights we know now absolutely and indubitably that these sword dances formed an important part of the vegetation ritual is it not easily within the bounds of possibility that as the general ceremonial became elevated first to the rank of a mystical and then used as a vehicle for symbolic christian teaching the figures of the attendant warrior priests underwent a corresponding change from salii to templars is not after all so far a cry as from their glittering golden-armed maroots and the youthful leaping caretes to the grotesque tatterdemalion personages of the christmas mumming play we have learnt to acknowledge the common origin of these two latter groups may we not reasonably contemplate a possible relation existing between the two first named End of chapter seven